on podcasting world welcome to 2020 a core console rx podcast kind of uh new edition yeah just kidding it's the exact same as the old the but exact same. we're here we've made some new year's resolutions did we no because i don't really like doing that honestly i'm not a fan i try to start mine in december that way i feel like i'm really accomplished mm. go from there nice now yeah. um nothing really great this year as far as new year's resolutions just trying to keep on keep on yeah. going with everything this the uh so is this the third year that we've been releasing podcasts, 2018, 2019? Not for three years, but the third actual year. Yeah. So he started in December of 17, I believe. Oh, wow. December, so, January. It might have been January, like, officially. Yeah. But, yeah. So Nice. If, if it was January, so this is the very start of year three. Time flies, man. I know. It's been, it's it crazy. actually does feel like we haven't been doing this that long. I know. <laughs> People are listening. Maybe it's because we haven't gotten any better at it. <laughs> I was going to say, people are listening probably, yeah, we wouldn't yeah. have guessed <laughs> that you'd been wouldn't doing it that long either. <laughs> But uh, no, it's been it's been good. Well, um, what about you? Anything big for 2020? No, I, I mean I've been like really unhealthy for the last couple months, mm-hmm. and I never want to be that cliche person that's like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym, eat healthier in 2020. But I probably am going to go to the gym more and eat a little healthier in 2020. Yeah, so that's good. That's cool. What about uh, any certifications this year you're going for? CE? Going for one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to jump the gun until I don't pass it because that would just be really unfortunate. But yes, nice. we'll hopefully be taking that uh, in, in a few months. Nice. Mm-hmm. They, they're not calling it CDE anymore. Did you see that? No. They're changing the title. It's like... Does it sound better? Kind of. sounds a little bit more sophisticated, but I can't okay. remember the uh, exact thing now. It's like... Um, well, we'll know by the end of the podcast. Yeah, it's something along the lines of like a like a diabetes education and counseling specialist or something like that. I can't remember. Hmm. I bet it, will it add more letters to your name? It does do that. It's like oh. five letters now oh. instead of three. So that's yeah. really all that matters. Watch out LinkedIn. Truthfully. So yeah, you uh, have the opportunity to be the first of that group. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, well, good. It's just us two today. We yep. went through a long string of uh, guests. I know. After having a drought of guests, I think. I know. It just comes in waves. It does. It's, it's like weird. a pharmacy. Yeah, just mm. like that. <laughs> so today, we are going to cover um, depression, and we're going to go a little bit deeper than we did last time. So we covered depression not too long ago. Um, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 episodes, something like that. Um, but this time, we're going to... Uh, go a little bit deeper than just looking at like the star D trial like we did last time. Uh, there's a new uh, algorithm that's been kind of proposed by a group out of Harvard. And uh, so we're going to kind of go through that a little bit and um, still not going to go as in depth as, as we possibly could, but um, we're going to go a little bit deeper than we did last time and then go from there. So um, kind of, uh, and I'll post like the links as far as like the references and whatnot. So you guys can look at all this stuff yourself. Um, but it's definitely a, uh, a very, very cool, uh, algorithm. Um, yeah, this, you said Harvard. Yeah. Harvard medical. Um, David Osser is the physician. I think that's heading it up and along with a few others. Um, and he, he's on that, uh, psychopharmac- psychopharmacology institute.com. Mm. Um, that's kind of where I first heard of these guys cause they have a bunch of lectures on there. Did we do a podcast with one of theirs? Before. So schizophrenia yeah. podcast that we did was coming based on some of their work because there's not like a true schizophrenia right. algorithm. So they've kind of proposed one. Um, and then now they're doing the same thing with depression and general anxiety disorder. They got one for bipolar disorder. Mm. So it's they're they're like touching on a lot of different stuff. It's a lot of cool work. So if you guys haven't checked out that website, I definitely would encourage you to do that. Yeah, staying busy. Yep, yep. So um, I guess if you guys were familiar with the star D trials, I'll kind of recap that a little bit. Um, 
if you remember uh, when we talked about that, so basically all the patients that were enrolled in the study um, had general depression, and then they were excluded if they had bipolar disorder, if they had any kind of psychotic disorder, so schizophrenia, something like that, um, if they were diagnosed with OCD, um, any kind of an eating disorder, or any kind of substance abuse disorder, um, especially those that like required inpatient detoxification, things like that. Mm-hmm. And pregnancy as well. Yeah. Um, and so the uh, and they also couldn't be have been treated um, with any of the treatment options for the first like trial steps because there was four different kind of steps to this this study, and so everyone was started off on um, an SSRI, so they used citalopram um, in in star D, and then from there um, the patients were either augmented or switched um, to a different therapy altogether. So with step two, I'll just say these real briefly, the augmentation strategies they used, um, they added on to the citalopram, either bupropion, buspirone, or cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, And then if they were a part of the switch strategies, they either were switched from citalopram over to bupropion, sertraline, venlafaxine, or cognitive behavioral therapy by itself. Uh, Again, followed uh, those who met remission, just stayed on their therapies. Those who did not, um, they went on to step three. So step three, you could either be augmented with lithium or uh, cytomel T3. And then the two switch strategies, you could either be switched to nortriptyline or mirtazapine. And then um, step four, you could be on a MOI, um, MAOI uh, for, um, I guess they just use these two options, MAOI, or you could use the combination venlafaxine uh, plus mirtazapine, mm-hmm. which is what they call uh, California rocket fuel, is the nickname for that one. <laughs> is that what they really yeah, call that? It really is, yeah. Fantastic. I, I thought that was a joke. And then uh, one of the psychologists, the psychiatrists that I work with, he's, he's like, yeah, some residents that I used to work with all were calling it that. And apparently the guy who came up with that combo was from uh, California, and it was a rocket fuel because of how quickly it pulled people out of depression, apparently. But so. it's step four, so obviously it's not, you know. Yeah, well, the quickest, I suppose, or the best. Yeah, so and we'll talk about it, but that's uh, that's just the four step process they kind of went through. So it covers all the different types of um, mechanisms and things like that, which is great. Um, this is obviously before some of our newer agents, but um, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at right now, um, where we stopped at the last podcast. So now we're going to go a little bit deeper, you know, with what to look for when to mm-hmm. switch all that jazz. Yep. So, Cole, what do you want to start us off at? Yeah, so um, the algorithm references some inpatient, more emergent um, situations of severe melancholic depression, which we won't really get into today. And they talk about ECT versus using ketamine and that sort of thing. And um, depending on how urgent you could just start something like Effexor or Remeron or TCA. Uh, we're going to focus more on the outpatient stuff and um, augmentation strategies or switching strategies for that. So... Basically, kind of like Stardy, but not really exactly like Stardy. They first line, they're pretty much recommending Zoloft, Lexapro, or Wellbutrin um, as a first line monotherapy. If they uh, have not tried one of those, that's what they want to start with. I think they prefer Zoloft or Lexapro, but then if someone is concerned uh, about the SSRI related sexual side effects uh, or they have a history of that, then Wellbutrin would probably be the way to go. Yeah. And it was interesting because I think Wellbutrin, the bupropion, is not something that a lot of people consider, I guess, first line, even mm-hmm. though it can be. Um, and one of the, the things that they 
kind of mentioned was yes about the the sexual side effects because you're not going to get that with Wellbutrin. Um, but the other kind of I guess comorbidity to look for that this may kind of push you toward using bupropion as opposed to uh, sertraline or sertraline would be a patient that has anxiety as kind of like a cofactor. So like w- depression with anxious symptoms. And when I first heard that, my first thought was like, well, B- well, butrin can be almost like a stimulant and wouldn't that make it worse? And I've actually always considered like bus- Buspar, Buspar mm-hmm. for like augmenting. Like um, anxiolytic kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, um, because they use it in anxiety and they also use it as an augmentation strategy for an SSRI. But um, what they found is, and they actually quoted STAR-D, <clears throat> if you looked at the patients who were um, either augmented from citalopram with buspirone or they were um, given um, bupropion, that the patients that had a like underlying anxiety as well as depression, when you kind of like separated the patients out, um, 18% reached um, remission with bupropion versus only 9% with buspirone. And... Uh, that basically they've they've and they quoted a few other studies that basically show that um, bupropion may actually be the one to go with yeah. for patients that have anxiety as a comorbidity. Yeah. I saw that, and and not only will it not have the sexual side effects, it can even help a little bit with somebody who may have had that issue before. Um, also, it uh, can help with weight loss as opposed to weight gain, which mm-hmm. is a side effect of SSRIs frequently. Um, so yeah, seems like a good option. Yeah. And so, you know, and I think it's one of those, not to say that escitalopram or sertraline is a bad option. I think it's just, um, I guess that's the way I would kind of look at it is like if the person definitely has like any kind of anxiety or if they're needing to lose weight, like Cole said, or even uh, smoking as well, because obviously that goes hand in hand with a lot of psych disorders. Um, Smoking cessation can be uh, an added benefit to be appropriate on use as well. And there's also the concern with the lowering of the seizure seizure threshold with bupropion, which they addressed, um, and they kind of downplayed it a little bit by saying that some other SSRIs might be able might be doing that as well, or at least bupropion's not doing it more than that. Um, but still, a concern, especially for someone with a history of seizures, yeah. probably wouldn't be your go-to at all. And I think that's where I would definitely look like if that would raise more concern in my head, it would be the patients that have a history of seizures for yeah. sure. So um, the other thing is to, you know, so again, that's, that's what they start with as far as like the very beginning of this outpatient algorithm. And then from there, we'll talk about where they augment or switch. But, um, you know, some other things to kind of keep in mind is they didn't really go into some of the newer agents. So like, for example, Trintilix. Mm-hmm. Um, Trintilix is, and so whenever I taught this, like for my PA students, I had SSRIs and then I had them separated out to where I had SSRI plus because I, and I thought I made this very clear, but like I, <laughs> I, I explained to them that these are all still SSRIs, but they have some sort of an added benefit to, to them. So either like they're a they're reuptake inhibitor, but they also have like a 5-HT1A agonist or 5-HT2A antagonist, which can heighten the activity of the serotonin in the system and all that. So I said, SSRI plus is not like a real thing. I just want you to be able to differentiate between the newer agents and the older ones. Cool. I thought that was fine. <laughs> Never didn't give it another thought for like six months later. And then one of my students comes back. He's like, hey, um, so I was on psych rotation and uh, I told uh, my preceptor that he asked me what kind of a drug um, <laughs> Trentilix was. And I told him it was an SSRI plus. Oh, no. And he was like, SSRI plus? What does that mean? He's like, no. Nah, like, and then I had to explain to him that like Dr. Corvino told me. <laughs> 
And I was like, no, <laughs> no, no. He was like, you gave him my name? <laughs> this guy thinks I'm an idiot now. Oh, man. So this year, students, when I told them, I was like, do not, under any circumstances, tell this is a made-up thing. This is just me. Do not tell anybody that this is a real thing. I made this up for y'all's benefit to keep it straight in your head. So SSRI plus is not real, but that's kind of what I think of them as. Um, just because they have the same activity as normal SSRIs, except they had the added on benefit. So for instance, um, Trentilix has 5-HT1A agonist activity, um, which uh, helps the serotonin kind of makes it more active in the periphery, things like that, but also um, reduces the risk of like sexual side effects and things like that. And they've actually compared this one directly to Lexapro and had a reduction in uh, sexual side effects, um, sexual dysfunction. I shouldn't say sexual side effects, but sexual dysfunction um, as you know, uh, result of the patients that were put put on Trintilix instead of the uh, Lexapro. So you know that they didn't really mention that one. Um, Velazidone or Vibrid is another one um, that's a 5-HT1A partial agonist. And so there's there's some of these newer agents that might alleviate some of the concerns as far as adverse effects with SSRIs, and those weren't really mentioned mm-hmm. um, in this algorithm. So kind of when was this keep, made? I think this algorithm was published this year. Okay, but yeah, those other, been out for those other drugs don't have enough as much like studies and meta analyses and things to kind of back them up. So, so I, I see them per- fairly commonly. Like when is when are you using those? So we actually just used Vibrid today yeah. um, in a patient because they um, they were having adverse effects to, uh, I think it was Lexapro, um, and we switched to motor to Vibrid uh, a while back, um, and like I guess a month ago, and the side effects were gone, their mm. regression was getting better, so we bumped up the dose today to kind of get to the maintenance dose, and um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. But um, we've also used Trintilix, um multiple times in patients, so I think it's... I, me personally, I've seen it in general depression. Um, and then, you know, if it's usually ones that can't tolerate an SSRI for whatever reason, but wouldn't be candidates for some of the other options. So we've just right. tried this and yeah. it works. Sure. The price is always the factor. Yeah. They've got some copy cards and stuff. Yeah, they do. We ordered vibrant samples today, actually. Nice. So, so yeah. So step one SSRI um, or a. Um, dopamine reuptake inhibitor, so mm-hmm. the, the Wilbutrin. So if that doesn't work, if the patient doesn't go to, into remission from there, that's kind of like the next step is like, okay, well, what now? Um, and there's a couple different, actually there's more than a couple, there's several different strategies that we yeah. can kind of look at. Um, one would be just as simple as switching to a different agent from that step one so which seems to be the most common thing people do yeah and and i think like search if you let's say you start sertraline i think the one that doesn't seem common at least to me anyway is switching from like sertraline over to escitalopram and, yeah. and like switching in the same class but star d did that and um the authors of this this algorithm did it as well um but you definitely um can, need to consider that as an option um and then the other switch option would be um, to like using a dual action agent, so venlafaxine, which is serotonin and norepinephrine, uh, or switching to something like mirtazapine mm-hmm. by by itself. Um, the issue with mirtazapine is the it works well um, as far as like increasing serotonin levels and things like that. Um, but the problem with mirtazapine is not only like like appetite increases, but usually really like significant weight gain. Yeah. Um, makes you super, super hungry, um, makes you very fatigued. Um, it's 
supposed to eliminate some of the adverse effects of serotonin, but hunger is definitely not one of them that yep. gets eliminated. And then fatigue, a lot of patients do complain about that, unfortunately. So I saw this used a lot. Um, they would target patients who were having weight loss because of depression. And yeah. That, that's where they would, they would see Absolutely. That. That's like yeah. perfect in those patients. Like patients that have like uh, some kind of eating disorder as well. Or even trouble sleeping because they dose it frequently at bedtime and mm-hmm. it can help you sleep better. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's um, definitely I, one of the big, I guess, takeaways, too, is um, looking at comorbidities. Because yes. depression is super complex. A lot of times it doesn't come by itself. Yeah. Um, and then looking at not just, I guess, the comorbidities, but also then, like, considering, like, how the effects of that medication is going to play out on the patient's other, right. other issues. And how their depression is manifesting because, you know, there's melancholic depression, there's depression that gives insomnia, there's depression that makes you sleep all the time. What, like, what kind of, what are they having? And that should kind of steer therapy. And they talk in this paper a lot about an accurate diagnosis um, at the beginning Uh, whether it's that you think they have other things like bipolar, like you said, or mixed episodes or whatever it is, uh, making sure it's accurate because the more medications you try, you know, the, the higher chance for failure. Uh, And also it's, it's hard to, to get a good view of how well something's working a lot of times because the placebo effect is so high with these medications. And so where they've seen a lot of failure is someone who's having success at the beginning but it was a placebo effect, and so they end up failing because it's not a long-term benefit. Um, so you want to ensure at the beginning that they're getting benefit because of the medication and not from a placebo effect. One thing that was kind of interesting, too, is they mentioned a study called the COMED trial. Um, and what this was, um, was a, it was a comparative study, and they looked at escitalopram as monotherapy. Um, and then they compared that to uh, escitalopram plus bupropion. Um, and then... Um, mirtazapine plus venlafaxine. Um, and then basically what they saw is that there was no difference in remission rates or outcomes at the end of the study. So 39% across the board for either three groups. And there wasn't really a difference in, uh, like, or there was a difference rather with the combo therapy. They had more adverse effects, things like that. So no difference in outcomes, but more adverse effects with the combo therapy. Because I think sometimes if you see a patient that has a lot of depression, like kind of starting therapy, you'd be kind of push towards using maybe two, two agents right off the bat. Um, but we may not actually even need that. So starting with this SSRI is definitely a good, um, good habit to get into, especially if you're, once you've verified it's definitely depression that you're treating and not anything, you know, mixed with like a bipolar disorder or something like that, then we wouldn't want to use SSRIs. Yeah. All right. So, um, what do you want to go from here? Where, where are we at? Let's um, it's interesting because they mentioned that, so now we've gone through the first line and some of the second line agents, they're, they're like, there's not a lot of strong data for, you know, when you're moving on to second line strategies. So, you know, take patient preference into consideration with a lot of these things. But then I'm looking at, I mentioned before, but I'm looking at St. John's wort mm-hmm. uh, and TMS and light therapy and, you know, stuff that has a little bit of evidence, but I don't think I'm going there before I try augmenting with something else or switching to a dual action agent or something like that, even with patient preference, you know? Yeah. And I think especially like for them, they, they mentioned that it's not like great evidence, but I think that just because that is, like you said, the placebo effect is real. And I think a lot of times patients want more of a, you know, a natural approach, I yeah. guess that would be something to consider. St. John's Ward, obviously it's the one that we all learn about, like in school, as far as having the most drug drug interactions, things like that. But, um, 
Yeah, I think they mentioned it just to be complete. You know, but I definitely wouldn't think those are great options myself either. Yeah. And I guess augmenting versus switching maybe depends on if a patient feels like they're having some benefit, but it's not fully, um, you know, in remission. So you might augment, but if it's like, no, this isn't working at all. Yeah. Switching. And they, they actually leave it up to the patient. Yeah. They said they want the patient to kind of be involved, which I do like that strategy a lot. I, I do the same thing with like diabetes management. Um, I let, I basically will give them a few options and then let them pick which one suits them the best. Yeah. And I might steer them in a certain direction, but I do let them feel like they're right. a, a part of the picking process. Cause I, I don't like when we just sell, Hey, you're trying, especially in, when it's like, they just, there's always that right. concern of like the, the side effects or is this person just trying stuff on me and like a Guinea pig kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but and since that's a lot of that is, you know, it's chemical, but also mental in some ways more so than like diabetes where it's just right. you're getting the sugar down. Yeah. Them, them feeling like they are, in control yeah. of their therapy, I'm sure it makes a big difference to response rates. For sure. Um, the other, uh, so those are the switch options that they did. So you could just switch to one of the other agents from the first step. Um, you could switch to something like venlafaxine or mirtazapine. Um, then you could also switch to like St. John's War, something like that's more of a herbal one. That's the one we said we wouldn't really recommend. But uh, then they give several augmentation strategies, which I think are all pretty interesting. Um so they augment with uh, either an antipsychotic, um, and that's they mentioned that one specifically, again, in patients that have like anxiety-type symptoms mixed in with the depression, which a lot of patients really, once you kind of start talking to these patients and finding out, like, you know, are you sleeping at night? Like, oh, no, I have racing thoughts at night. Like, there is a lot of patients that don't necessarily call it anxiety, but once you talk to them and realize that they have um, what they're actually dealing with, a lot of it you can realize is, is some anxiety type symptoms mixed in with their depression. Um, and so from there, they, they say to use a, uh, they prefer in that particular case to look at using um, antipsychotic. And the ones that have the most evidence would be um, quetiapine, Seroquel, um, aripiprazole, which um, I like that one a lot as far as the side effect profile and things. Um, Bexiprazole or Vexalti is another one that they they don't say as they, they talk about not having as much data with, but it is out there. It's a similar mechanism as uh, aripiprazole. And then also risperidone, um, they mentioned as well. But that one probably has the least amount of data, plus it has um, more, side effects. more side effects. And it's more, uh, it's the most typical, atypical antipsychotic. Right. So if you've worried about EPS and some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that. Um, Looking at the antipsychotics as an augmentation strategy is I know something that I typically, before I started doing some of this, like at the clinic, like I didn't really think that. Yeah, I, I definitely would have reserved them for more of a last line or more of something if I, I thought they had bipolar depression. But then if they have bipolar depression, you're you not would. wanting to use SSRIs and exactly. that sort of thing. Um, so very interesting. Yeah, and, and they even they even mentioned that there's there seems to be a lot of data coming out to say that a lot of these drugs for depression really don't work as well as we thought they did. And the, I mean, the response rates are really pretty poor when you consider comparing it to um, the placebo effect. Uh, so really, I think a lot of it is, hey, we got depression, so here's an SSRI, and not digging a little deeper and finding, that, yeah, they have underlying anxiety disorders, or um, really it's a stressor at home or at work or somewhere in their life that isn't going to be fixed um, that just isn't going to be fixed by medication because it's something ongoing. 
And so maybe CBT might be more appropriate in that case. Um, yeah, so that, I wouldn't always think of these as my first augmentation strategy, but maybe depending on what's going on. Yeah. And they mentioned the uh, study from 2017, which I think we talked about when Patrick was on the podcast as well, but the uh, VAST-D D study, yeah. um, which was patients that were on, um, uh, usually most of them were on SSRIs to start with. Um, they were either augmented with aripiprazole, augmented with bupropion, or switched to bupropion monotherapy. And basically the remission rates at the end um, were 29% on aripiprazole augmentation, 27% with bupropion augmentation, or 22 with the switch to bupropion. Hmm. So um, aripiprazole seemed to have the best remission rates, but um, also had the most adverse effects that people complained about, like yeah. um, gained body weight, uh, things like that. I mean, I think I would tend... Yeah, I mean, they worked similarly and less side effects. I think I would tend towards bupropion, and I see that more often than augmenting with Abilify. So, interesting. And the other thing that they, and I think I mentioned this already, but they mentioned specifically in patients that have a comorbidity with uh, anxiety that they have some evidence with, um, and they, they quoted a trial I'm on here. I had to find it, but um, they mentioned that specifically if a patient has um, anxiety or anxious symptoms along with their depression, that they think that the uh, augmenting with aripiprazole is the better option. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So some other options they give are uh, Rimuron as well. And they also mentioned uh, Cytomel, the T3, and also lithium, uh, which is interesting because that's usually reserved for um, antipsychotics, uh, schizophrenia, that sort of thing. Um, it can be rough on the kidneys as well. So I don't know. Again, not my first augmentation strategy, but something you can use. Yeah. All right, so what else? So I think that's pretty much it. Uh, we talked about, yeah, T3 lithium. Um, one thing that, um, and let me pull this up real quick. Um, one thing I thought was kind of interesting with the star D because it's the, the lithium and, you know, that one makes sense to me. This, the, the amount of T3 doesn't really always make that much sense to me, I guess. Right. Because, Initially, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, but I always think about, you know, cause I always think T3 wouldn't even use that really in hypothyroidism anymore. <laughs> like we always stick with right. levothyroxine or something, but, um, which I still see used a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but let me see. There was, uh, some, st with adding uh, lithium in the Stardy trial, um, the, let's see. So step three in Star D, um, they had, Patients that were on bupropion that had T3 added to it had a 37.5% remission rate um, versus the 10% with sertraline that had C3, T3 added to it. Hmm. So I don't know what it is, maybe mechanistically, maybe that was just random chance, but the group that was on bupropion to start from the switch from step two that had T3 added had almost almost quadruple remission rates compared to sertraline that had T3 added to it. So hmm. maybe there's something going on there mechanistically. I thought yeah. that was just kind of interesting. That is interesting. Um, we found that in the uh, supplemental um, <laughs> thing. When, uh, yeah, for the Stardy trial the other day, we were looking for something. Yeah, I like this because it seems like with depression, it's a lot of times, especially when you learn it in school, it's like SSRIs, SNRIs, Wilbutrin, and you know maybe a couple others, and that's all you learn. Um like when I'm when I'm sitting there and see somebody on lithium, I'm not thinking they're augmenting depression, right? I'm, I'm thinking that they have a psych disorder, but um, it can work as well as the other antipsychotics and T3. Yeah. <laughs> so if I if I if I mentioned to somebody like, oh, it's your thyroid medication, <laughs> they'd be like, uh, that's my depression medication. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? So yeah, so if, uh, no response to these, 
um, the patient is considered to have treatment-resistant depression. So they do have another kind of line of things that you might want to consider if somebody has treatment-resistant depression. Uh, part of it is whether or not they have atypical features, um, which, you know, the name makes it sound like it's a weird sort of depression, but a lot of people have atypical features. Um, it's kind of in contrast to melancholic depression where with atypical features, I believe, I could be getting this backwards, but I believe with atypical um, frequently you're sleeping a lot and um, uh, you're kind of lethargic, but you're much more responsive to um, stimuli. So if something good happens, then like you might be really happy, uh, but then you know you, you might fall back in depression where melancholic, you struggle with insomnia, um, and you're not so responsive to um, outside stimuli with somebody like something happy happening. You, you won't really respond well to that um, either. So the delineating between those two and the type of symptoms a patient's having uh, is important as to, to where you go with treatment. And so they, they actually mentioned that um, in order to have to meet the criteria for atypical depression, um, having significant mood reactivity, like you were saying, combined with two of the following. So it can be clinical characteristics of um, um, overeating, um, so uh, hyperphagia, um, hypersomnia, like you say in Cole, uh, latent paralysis, or pathological rejection sensitivity. So attributing rejection to people that normally would you know mean a lot to you in life. That right. You probably don't have any reason to think that they think bad thoughts about you. Right. Um, and so, yeah, those would all be if the patient meets those criteria, they would be considered to have atypical symptoms, atypical depression. Um, and then from there, that does kind of switch like what we're using to, for therapy. Um, so in their algorithm, um, if the patient has atypical features, then they actually recommend either using a MAOI, selegiline and um, phenylazine is the ones that they, the two that they mentioned specifically. Um, and then they say you can also um, try an SSRI plus aripiprazole in those patients because there's there's data um, in that group. Right, which you may have already tried a note for or which you may have already tried previously. Right. Uh, but if not, they recommend that. And if they don't qualify for atypical features, then they just say try everything you haven't already tried. <laughs> so um, pretty much anything we mentioned that you didn't try, try. And then last line, augmenting with ECT, which I have seen work extremely well for patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then uh, the other thing too um, that they mentioned uh, is um, trying an addition an additional option that you could consider um, is monotherapy with a tricyclic um, antidepressant that we did we didn't mention. So if you've tried all those other augmentation switching strategies not working, um, they do say to try either um, Im uh, imipramine or nortriptyline. So those are the two. Uh, tricyclics that have the least amount of side effects as far as like anticholinergic symptoms, orthostatic hypotension, um, those types of things. So like amitriptyline, which is what we always see mm -hmm. used, has, you know, really bad anticholinergic, real bad, yeah. sed you know, sedation. Well, because they that. prescribe it for like sleep. Exactly. Frustratingly. Though yeah. they do do, they do prescribe it for migraines, which works well for migraines. But um, yeah. yeah, sometimes they just do it for sleep. Um, and then they also say to use, if none of those other options have, have worked, to try the combination of venlafaxine and mirtazapine. There's mm -hmm. your California rocket fuel. Yeah. So, which is interesting, though, because they've, that's one of the ones they compared, I believe, when they, when they were looking at escitalopram. Uh, it was that COMED study. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the uh, groups that they looked at and was no better than escitalopram as far as statistically. But if escitalopram didn't work for them, then they say give that combo a shot and see what happens. 
Um, Next time I see somebody on that, I'm going to be like, how's your California rock and fuel? Just see what they say. Yeah, just see what they say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think was pretty interesting about this algorithm is they go into detail about uh, like looking at comorbidities. And we, I know we've already touched on that a little bit, but they actually give several options depending on what the comorbidity is. So, for instance, they say if the patient has like chronic pain, especially if it's like fibromyalgia, something like that, that to at that point look for um, one of the TCAs that the patient, and in that case, um, amitriptyline and um, clomipramine are the two they recommend mm-hmm. in that particular case. They have the best uh, efficacy as far as nerve, like um, neuropathy goes. Um, they mentioned duloxetine mm-hmm. specifically. Interesting that that didn't come up previous to this. You know, it, it, it's because the Longstein didn't do as well as like as Venlafaxine and those really no reason studies, so not they, to use Effexor. Yeah. yeah. So they mentioned, but they also didn't mention Desvenlafaxine at Pristine. Yeah. yeah so true. I think it's, some of it's just going off the data they had available. I mean, right. but, um, gabapentin that they mentioned if, again, if it's like, um, especially if it's post herpatic neuralgia, so someone's had shingles and mm-hmm. then is still having some um, residual pain afterwards. Gabapentin seems to work. Um, pregabalin, Lyrica, same thing. Um, spinal cord injuries along with the depression, fibromyalgia, pregabalin may be an option. Um, carbamazepine as well um, can potentially be an option there. Yep. So chronic pain, and notice they don't mention opioids yep. <laughs> throughout that, that, that whole process. Um, but they say to, to definitely look for treatment-resistant depression and, and using one of those agents if it's um, pain, chronic pain is a comorbidity. Speaking of which, I thought about your little um, stint on TV the other day, and I just watched it on the did opioid you? epidemic. Yeah, you did I, good. How'd I look? It was good. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Make up, make up, and all that kind of stuff. I yeah, was. was I make up on everything. It was, it was intense. They gave you some tough questions, did they? Yeah. I don't remember now. Yeah, I think, just, you know stuff that I might be like, yeah, like, like why do we even why do we even need fentanyl? Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. So, well, like, yeah, I didn't expect. I expected it to be like a conversation, right? And then he was kind of hitting you kind of yeah, hard. Was, I'm like, yo, I didn't invent this stuff. Why are you mad at <laughs> I me? I didn't do it. I'm, <laughs> yeah, up here, I'm up here supporting you guys. Yeah, you should so. check that out. My, Mike Corvino, uh, opioid town hall on Google, probably get you get you there. It's mm. good. Dude, I'm the go the, the go to for that for sure. <laughs> I was like, you guys want me to go on live TV? Oh, that's great. And we're doing the exact thing we get blasted about oh, all the time, shoot. where people are like, you guys get off topic and totally lose my train of thought and talk about yourselves. Talk about, and, yeah, no, sorry. Mm. Sorry, How can we, this is not us being being uh, narcissistic, <laughs> by the way, for those of you who think that. Yeah, we'll just our, never talk about ourselves again. You know, what, you know what makes me crazy about that that comment? I'm, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be off this tangent in a second. <laughs> is I said in that podcast, I went back and listened to it because I was mm-hmm. like super confused what they were talking about. I went back and listened to that podcast and literally I said... Um, I said, God, how, how, because we were clearly joking. Apparently, kind of like apparently chuckling about it. Someone right? didn't realize that we were joking. And I put, man, I was like, uh, how, um, narcissistic would we be to like think this? Th-? And I'm like, you can't leave a comment calling us the insult that I called myself like in the pocket. That's not cool. You gotta be more original than that. Well, the best part about it was the second part was like, but it was great clinical information. And like, you know, there was, they did a really good job breaking down this and that. And I was like, Oh, okay. So was very confusing. So if you can ignore the narcissism, yeah. you get good quality information. Yeah. That's us. We're so, how many times have I said in this podcast, like I'm shocked that three people listen to it. That's me, the narcissist. <laughs> well, we say that and then we like brag about all the downloads. So yeah. well, we do, I guess. Yeah. We won't do that then. Just so you guys know, we don't think that we're anything special <laughs> whatsoever. Just well, in case anyone's about to leave a comment about how narcissistic we are. We're definitely not. It's a joke. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's that. Um, 
Anyways. Anyways. OCD. So, OCD. Yes. If a patient has comorbidity with OCD, obviously um, look for much higher dose SSRIs compared to what we would use in general depression. So like you'll see, you know, like sertraline, 300 milligrams, sometimes even 400 milligrams. You'll see like um, 60, 80 milligrams of Prozac, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, we they, did one on OCD, right? We did. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Um, and then, uh, for somebody who has like ADD, ADHD, um, they say to look obviously to augment with stimulants as well. Um, but also looking like, uh, Stratera, mm-hmm. um, atomoxetine may be a better option in those patients as far as augmentation, um, or switching. And, um, they also mentioned venlafaxine and, uh, bupropion as well. I kind of like bupropion for that. Yeah. To try first, you know? Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Um, they mentioned uh, prazosin or doxazosin, which I've, from what I've seen, the evidence isn't even that great as far as those things go. Um, and they also just mentioned SSRIs, which mm-hmm. are kind of standard anyway. Yeah, I think there was one, we did a journal club on this one time, one big trial, um, with I think with the VA with prazosin. And um, yeah, there are def- definitely some questionable. It looked like if you just look at the abstract, it looks good, but um, definitely some questionable data in there for sure. Those abstracts will get you. <laughs> I know. But they're so easy. Yeah, that's true. They are. They're so quick. So the next thing I want to just kind of make sure that we mention um, is because we've mentioned it briefly, but (coughs) is um, looking for depression with mixed features. So what that means is basically patients, and this is coming from like the DSM-5, it's patients with three comorbid manic symptoms on most days of depression. And most commonly, they say these can include racing thoughts, pressured speech, decreased need for sleep, and increased energy. So the first thing you have to do is be able to rule out bipolar depression um, based on like a past history of either mania or hypomania. Um, Obviously, that's a lot easier said than done. Um, But then, because if it is bipolar depression that changes the entire treatment option, we definitely aren't starting with an SSRI. Um, but if we do have a unipolar depression, um, general depression that is has mixed features, so they have some of those like manic-type symptoms along with the depression, um, then we have a couple different, like I guess, starting options. And the first one that they mentioned has the most efficacy is actually Latuda. Um, mm-hmm. So that seems to be something that could be effective um, because we don't have a lot of other evidence in that particular group. Um, but there is a study that they, they talk about um, where uh, it was compared to placebo. So Latuda versus placebo and Latuda um, was more efficacious. So that's one thing that I definitely want to make sure that we at least address um, was the, uh, the fact that that, cause that's something that I genuinely wouldn't have really thought about as far as, uh, cause I'm not a psychiatrist, but that wouldn't have been something that I thought about as far as seeing depression. And they start talking about some of the manic symptoms. A lot of times we just automatically jump to, oh, it must be bipolar disorder versus having a couple of these, but they're not quite the criteria for mania or hypomania. So mixed features. So make sure you look into that. But Latuda could be a good option for those patients as opposed to an SSRI because an SSRI may not even be as effective in those particular patients. Interesting. Yeah, that's one of those special populations. Also pregnant women, so they were kind of excluded from many of these studies. But they do reference the fact that about 10% of pregnant women will experience depression um, and relapse of depression is very common uh, if somebody's controlled when they're pregnant, about 43%. 
Um, so when you're considering medication risk in pregnancy, you also have to weigh that against the risk of untreated depression and poor adherence to prenatal care and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know, some of the people don't really think about like with, with psych disorders in general, especially bipolar and schizophrenia, it's really hard when somebody becomes pregnant because the medications are so high risk. Um, I don't think you usually think about that with depression, but it can be a concern. Yep. What else? Anything else in this one? pretty much all I got. I like this algorithm, though. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Probably snap a pic of that. I can just send it to you if you'd like. No, you already did. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess no, I can download no. it. But, uh, yeah, so, guys, make sure you check this out. It's um, The full title of it is The Psychopharmacology Algorithm Project at Harvard South Shore Program, an update on unipolar non-psychotic depression. Um, David Osser, O-S-S-E-R, is the uh, main author on it, and then he's got a bunch of other work published. And then there's another guy whose name I'm sure you're not going to pronounce. I'm not going to try. Yep, it's going to be Christophoros. I'm going to call him Chris G. Yeah, Chris G. Chris G. Sorry, uh, Dr. G, for (laughs) butchering your name. That's, That's above my pay grade. Um, make sure you check that stuff out. And if you're really interested in psych, I would highly encourage you to check out that uh, psychopharmacologyinstitute.com. They got some really good stuff on there. You got to pay to play to be on their website, mm-hmm. but um, they have really good stuff. So nice. make sure you check that out. Cool. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying the new year so far. Thank you so much for listening to us. For those of you who... Um, when there's something with a patient case too. What's that? That we we're going to throw out for later. Oh, yeah. So, sorry. You messed up my outro call. Jeez, <laughs> I got to start all over. Um, so, we, yes, uh, my student that I had last month, Yara, that you guys may have seen on uh, Instagram and things like that, um, her and I started a patient case that uh, we were working with, and it's basically going to be um, going along with this algorithm and whatnot. So, we'll put that out in the next few days. And uh, if you guys are interested in messing around with that at all, and then uh, seeing what kind of... Uh, options you can have for switching or augmenting or things like that and playing with that a little bit but i'll have the uh our answer key if you will our our thoughts on it out there as well so you can download both of that so um probably it'll be on the website i may put it on medium.com yeah, but i'll put it uh, like notice on instagram and stuff like that or you can find it um so yeah uh, thank you guys so much for listening um especially for those of you who you know have been listening to us since the beginning we really appreciate you sticking with us it's been uh awesome um and uh you know if there's ever anything we can do any topics you want us to make sure we cover please reach out to us um our emails are in the show notes um and then you can also uh reach us by text um 415-943-6116 you'll get like an automated response at first asking you to add yourself to our phone book and stuff and it'll give you like a form you can fill out and that's basically just so that we know like certain specialties and stuff like that so we don't spam you with stuff that you may not be interested in um but uh well anything after that that comes from will be directly from us and then uh you know if you have any questions you're more than welcome to send that over text we've actually been getting some this week so that's been kind of cool um a little bit quicker hopefully response than uh the email and then doesn't get lost so much in the social media stuff so uh social media gets a little Crazy. We get some messages. Some of them are. One guy tried to tell me Harvoni from like India the other day, and I was like, <laughs> "Nah, man, I'm good." <laughs> so we get all kinds of stuff on there, but um, yeah. So we'll get back to you as quick as we can. And uh, again, thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Later.